This, this is Four Down Territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got deep, deep, deep. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I am Stacy Rost. He is Jake Heaps. It's that time of the night. Normally we do this at 45 after, uh, but with our draft recap, we have pushed it to 8. The questions are still there. Still there. This is Four Down Territory. Today we're going three questions. We're going to have a really efficient, our DVOA is sky high. That's right. We don't need four downs. We don't need four downs. We're going to eat up big yardage on first down, and then we're just going to we're just gonna wrap it up. We're going to give it to our, uh, our third down running back and, and get that in there. Let's go to question one. Number one. Jake, you were talking about this earlier. What's mm-hmm. your Seahawks wish list? Okay, so my Seahawks wish list is simple. Right now, through the draft, they did not fulfill our desires in terms of getting in a legitimate edge rusher. Mm-hmm. LJ Collier is more of a tweener, a guy that can do both, but he's more of a physical guy. He's not a finesse guy, and we don't know exactly what we're going to get out of him in terms of sacks. Uh, and so can he be a high-volume sack guy? That remains to be seen. And so this is going to be more by committee. What the Seahawks need to do is they need to add veteran presence on their defensive line to add more competition and to shore this thing up, both in the run game and in the passing game. So what they have right now is they have around $26 million in cap space. That could increase by some cuts. Uh, depending on if, if Doug Baldwin retires, uh, that could add uh, free up a lot of cap space as well. If they cut Barkevis Mingo, that, that could give you $4 million in cap space. So they have a lot of potential room to work with. So what my wish list is, is I would like to see them sign three more veteran defensive linemen. I'd like to see them add two more pass rushers and one more defensive tackle. And so I would be happy with the following names. Uh, My wish list in terms of edge rushers, give me two out of these three guys. Give me Ziggy Ansah, Nick Perry, or Shane Ray. I think all three of those guys are dynamic players. Look, they're all here for a reason. It's because they're injured. They have questions about them. There's no question about that. But that's why they come at a valued price deal, a one-year prove-it deal, and they can come out and add tremendous value to your team and have shown that they can get high sack totals. The third, the second, is I want one of these two defensive tackles. I want Danny Shelton, Earl Mitchell, or Indominic Kinsu. And what I think more realistically is probably going to be Danny Shelton. He's is that local. your preference? My preference, I, I think Danny Shelton would be a great run stuffer. I think that's I, I think that's what he brings to his game. Uh, I would not be upset with Indominic and Sue. And I know that that name rings a lot of different feelings for, for different people around this area. To me, I know what his concerns are. The Seahawks are not going to bring him on if they feel like he's going to be a detriment to their practice uh, uh, values, uh, how they do business. And I know he takes plays off here and there, but he also, when he wants to turn it on, he can be a massive monster and a game wrecker both in the run game and in the passing game he can add value to you that's why he is a veteran defensive prove it deal uh, and you can get that those kind of things out of him so uh, Danny Shelton to me would be a guy I'd be extremely happy with I wouldn't be mad at seeing Indominic and Sue as well I feel like the knock I always heard about Sue wasn't necessarily correct me if I'm wrong um, it wasn't like a bad locker room presence it was just that he very openly is is like look I'm protecting my my job yep. my, I'm looking for the biggest contract like I'm not going to have this isn't about like a college mentality I I die for the team this is me Correct. looking for what pays me but not that he was like a bad guy like no, sounds like a smart cool dude Stacy uh, actually it's very much uh, reported that he is a great locker room yeah. guy. Guys have gone into his defense about how great 
of a locker room guy he was, the question comes into it is more making business decisions in terms of holding himself out of practice, maybe taking plays off here and there, which is definitely evident. But if you're bringing an Indominic and Sue on this team, one, I love the potential of him and Jaron Reed being put together. And also, you can't replace his ability to actually get after the passer. So uh, it's an exciting opportunity uh, to get a player like him if it comes at the right price. And that's why I feel like Danny Shelton is more realistic. I think that they can really get him at a really good value, which then allows you to go out and get two more legitimate edge rushers. All right, question number two. Number two. Sue kind of reminds me of like an Anne Hathaway. Like, I'm not sure how his reputation became what it is, but we all just decided that we didn't like Anne Hathaway. And we all just decided that Indomitian Sue like might be a bad guy. I don't know. That's right. It's, it's weird. All right. We got a couple UDFAs that have been linked to Seattle. Uh, they haven't released an official list, uh, but here are some names that have been linked. You've got Texas cornerback Devontae Davis, Northwestern State wide receiver Jazz Ferguson, Arizona State safety Jalen Harvey, Ohio State offensive lineman Demetrius Knox, a couple other names in there, uh, corner Derek Thomas, linebacker Noah Dawkins, uh, South Dakota State quarterback Taron Christian, Eastern Washington defensive tackle J.T. Tuley, and uh, ESPN's Brady Henderson reported earlier today they've since signed a tight end. Uh, was it Justin Johnson? I think so, yeah. 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 All right. Of all of these names, which piques your interest the most? There's a couple guys that really pique my interest. One, I think Demetrius Knox from Ohio State played offensive guard. I think he might be one of the biggest uh, undrafted free agent steals out there. He was Mm. a tremendous player, uh, great production, and played... Uh, a lot of snaps for Ohio State and was a was a nasty, nasty player, uh, finished blocks, was great in pass protection, but what hurt him was he got injured, uh, a pretty significant leg injury the last two games of the season. So uh, so that's that's part of the reason why he, he maybe fell. fell a little bit, but I love this pickup and could be a really, really good player for us moving forward. Uh, Jazz Ferguson is a guy who has great length and, and can stretch the field. Uh, he's of great intrigue to me. Uh, Terry Wright, he was uh, reported to have signed a $10,000 uh, contract or a guaranteed in guaranteed money, which is something significant because that means the team has uh, legitimate interest in this player and has investment in this player uh, from Purdue. And uh, and then I would say the quarterback, Taron Christensen, uh, or Christian, uh, he is a guy that just kind of fits the prototype, the mold of what they've tried to do here at backup quarterback. An athletic guy who can run the ball, who's mobile, not necessarily blazing fast, but is definitely mobile, has a live arm, but is very, very raw. And we'll see if he can really push Paxton Lynch for that backup spot. To me, that says more than more than anything else that they're really relying on Paxton Lynch to be the guy. So we'll see what competition uh, Taron Christensen can put in. But my probably sleeper, sleeper undrafted free agent more mm-hmm. than anybody is Jalen Harvey from Arizona State. He is a really intriguing player, was a very, very productive receiver uh, coming out into his junior year, switched over to safety, and had high, high production. So kind of sounds like a Richard Sherman, like yeah, receiver to corner. Absolutely, and he and so that type of athleticism that he has, smarts for the game, the feel for the game is definitely there, and and was an impact player for Arizona State. So I, I think that he could definitely be one of these sleeper picks and adds tremendous competition and depth to that secondary. All right, let's get to question three. Number three. What was the biggest surprise for you from this draft? Gosh. You have to only choose one, Jake. 
You're making me only choose one? Only one. Okay. The biggest surprise for me was the fact that they picked three receivers in this draft. Ah. Obviously, you know, the whole news of Doug Baldwin, we knew it was out there. We knew that Doug was kind of floating it out there. Uh, not him personally in terms of leaking it, but that we knew that that was a possibility of him considering retirement through everything that he's been through. And then that came out uh, on Friday through the draft after they picked DK Metcalf. And uh, the Seahawks weren't messing around. They were trying to find a replacement uh, and trying to get a bunch of different guys that can fill in the void. And what they did was they added bigger-bodied receivers, uh, guys who can really stretch the field vertically, and then they traded back up into the draft with John Ursua, who could potentially be that exact comparable player to what Doug Baldwin's game was, a guy, a smaller guy in the slot who's very quick, who's very smart, uh, understands spacing and zones and how to set guys up. And so overall, I was really fired up as a quarterback to see these prospects, and I cannot wait to see them in rookie minicamp and watch them closely as it develops in the offseason. And I know Russell Wilson is fired up about this opportunity to have these young, talented guys come in hungry, ready to go, compete, and potentially be superstar players. See, I thought you were going to go with one player that it was a surprise, but instead you went position. Tricky, 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 That's right. Always keeping you on your toes. Oh, man. Coming up next, what was the Seahawks' biggest issue heading into the draft? And did they solve it? We'll talk about it on Seattle Sports at Night. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I am Stacey Rost. He's Jake Heaps. Don't forget, you can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app, driven by your Puget Sound Accurate Dealers. Also, as a reminder, we are going to answer any question you send us for Ask Us Anything. Not any, I mean, don't get weird. Don't get creepy, (laughs) but text the Coors Light text line at 710-710. We'll do that to close out the show at 845. We're also going to open up the phone lines. You can call the Zeke's Pizza Hotline at 866-979-3776 or 206-421-3776. If you want to join in draft questions, you got a draft take. Yeah, send or it our way. Let's go. Send it our way. You can also join the conversation we're going to have right now, which is whether or not the Seahawks addressed their biggest problem yeah, in the and, draft. And and here's the thing is, did they address their biggest problem? What, what did you personally think is their biggest problem? And uh, how do you want to fill that need? So... Uh, look, to me, I think it's the easiest thing right off the top yep. is the defensive end and position. And both of us agree on that. Right. And, and that was something that I thought maybe they would take two high draft picks on a defensive end. Uh, but what this tells me is really they, they look at the offseason in, in four phases. Uh, and John Schneider has talked about this. Is Phase one is the initial free agency period. Uh, phase two is the draft. And, and phase three is going to be that next wave after the draft in terms of veteran free agent market. So uh, what that what his answer was very specifically was that they knew that they did not fulfill this need. They knew that defensive end, they need more help specifically in the pass rushing game. And so I think that for them, they're looking at this asking, okay, how can we find the surest way to get our sack numbers, our sack totals, or the more important thing, guys, is not necessarily replacing the total sacks. It's about the pressures. It's about the hurries. Being disruptive. Exactly. And and so when you look at 2013, 2014, a guy like Cliff Averill, he might not have had the biggest sack numbers, but, man, his pressures uh, were definitely felt every time he was out on the field. And so that's how they're going to do this. They're going to do this by committee. They're not going to have just Jaron Reed and a Frank Clark, 
Frank Clark type of player eating up all the sack numbers. They're going to get some more help uh, from a veteran presence, a guy who is very high, very motivated, has something to prove, coming off an injury, maybe coming off of a performance slump, mm-hmm. and uh, and trying to get the most out of him. And they've been very successful in that area. They need, and all, I, and what I've said all along is the moment that they were considering trading Frank Clark, and the moment they had to. This is about trying to recapture the depth that they had in 2013 and 2014. Stacy, they legitimately had a two-group rotation that was as deep as anybody in the NFL. You could legitimately, there was really no drop-off from one to two. And if you think about it, Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill were backups. They were part of the number two rotation. Which is wild. It it is insane. And it also means that you're... Pro Bowl starters are getting lots of rest and then coming back out to disrupt you and your offensive line. Exactly. So you're not looking at this line saying, okay, we've got Cliff Averill, we've got Michael Bennett. We're not saying that. But what we're saying is now we want to keep our guys fresh. We want to keep them uh, healthy throughout the entire season. And the more guys you're able to rotate in, the more that they are, you're getting their very best on every snap. And you feel comfortable with that. And last season, they did not have that kind of depth whatsoever. They gave up over 4.5 yards per carry in the running game. That is something that makes probably Pete Carroll want to throw up uh, and and want to fix that, no doubt about it. And also, you have to find ways to... get production that you're missing out with Frank Clark. And they needed that across the board. Even when Frank was here, you didn't have that second guy outside of Jaron Reed bringing the interior pressure. You didn't have that next player on the outside that they were hoping a guy like Deion Jordan could be. Uh, they're hoping that Michael, uh, that they're hoping that, um, uh, uh, you know, their Jacob Martin could fill yeah. that role. Uh, they're hoping that Cassius Mars can add good good minutes uh, and good plays. And he he came off his best season with five and a half sacks. Nate Orchard is a guy that was a former second round pick out of Utah who was a bad bad dude uh, at his days at Utah that I think they could get the most out of. So there's pieces there. There's guys that are there that they can yep. work with and get out uh, the most out of them. It's just a, again creating competition amongst that group because a lot try- of it's unproven. Exactly, a lot of it's unproven. In, and so I'm I'm very, very excited about it. I think the Seahawks had, and I agree with you, um, and that was my kind of number one point, and I also agree that it it didn't ans- get answered, but I, I don't know that it's anyone's fault because I think the Seahawks had three interesting questions coming into the draft uh, at three different positions, and they had three different problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first is uh, you are parting ways with, one of your best defensive players, Frank Clark, how do you get that back in the draft? And the answer is you don't. There's no way that you draft a guy. If you have the first overall pick, there's no way you get a guy that can give you exactly what Frank Clark was giving you. Yeah, because immediate, a lot, immediately, immediately no. Yes. Because a lot, no matter his ceiling, a lot of what you do by the time you're Frank Clark is that you have four years of playing experience under your belt. And uh, obviously he's got all the physical tools, um, but a lot of that does come with uh, just trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes with learning and playing with the best and, and being part of a really uh, dominant defense or going against really trying offenses. So that was the first problem. And I think that the issue they faced was that a lot of those DNs flew off the board. Uh, they all went off the board by by the first round. A couple of them slipped to you, but the ones that slipped to you weren't all necessarily a fit for your system. Mm-hmm. And as we know, the way that John Schneider and Pete Carroll do things, 
isn't the same as everyone else. This isn't fantasy football. They don't have a best available trick. They have their first round grades, their second round grades, right. their draft grades they give guys. And if they don't have a guy left with a first round grade, they aren't going to say, well, we need a DN, so let's take this guy. Correct. It's it's too bad, and, and he's not a fit for our system, and it's not worth this pick when we have four. Absolutely. The the other part of it, too, with this defensive line is you're, you're immediately, I go back to this competition. When they picked LJ Collier, do you remember one of the initial things that they said about this pick was he's going to be a five-technique player, yep. and immediately they called out Rasheem Green. They didn't need to do that. They could have made this whole thing about L.J. Collier, but immediately they called out Rasheem Green, their former third-round pick of last year. They need more production out of that guy. They want to get more out of that guy, and they they put him on notice. You've got to produce. If you want to get mon- minutes, if you want to get out there, You've got to be able to go toe-to-toe with L.J. Collier this year. And and I love that mentality. Uh, and so Rasheem Green, there's going to be a lot uh, asked of him, and he needs to have a great offseason. And he's a guy that you know looked like a, a future Hall of Famer in the preseason last year, and just simply he got hurt. Uh, he wasn't able to recover and just was, wasn't the same type of player. Well, the league moves so. fast, I would imagine. I feel like that's what I heard from Pete Carroll, because it's not the first time that Pete Carroll has mentioned Rasheem Green. Right. And and mentioned needing him to to kind of contribute as much as he can. Uh, they've also mentioned Jacob Martin, though he fills a different role right. for them. Um, both of those guys, not only do they have a chance to step up, but they kind of need to. Yes. Um, and it's not like a failure. It's just that, fair or not, year two, suddenly the competition is, is high. Um, I'm going to jump because I know we both agree on the defensive line, but I think... Another issue they had, and I know Brock will say secondary was an issue that came before wide receiver, but if you're facing a future without Doug Baldwin, mm-hmm. if that's the case, um, you obviously needed to find a replacement there. That jumps to number two very easily. Exactly. And, you know, Tyler Lockett had a breakout season for you. Um, I think he's proven to be a reliable uh, target for sure. Um, but you didn't have a lot of depth there. And Pete Carroll uh, earlier this year said, you know, we're happy with the depth we have, we're happy with our receivers. Well, they certainly made an effort to stock up, not only through three picks in the draft, including trading back in to make your last pick a wide receiver, but you've got some guys in free agency you've brought in. It's clearly an area of competition, an area of focus for you. I don't know how you replace Doug Baldwin. You can't. The but, simple answer and is you can't, can't. And, and, and at least not right away. Mm-hmm. And so... What you're trying to do is, you know, John Ursua is that type of player that you're trying to replace Doug Baldwin the best you can, and hopefully uh, he could be a plug and play type of player. But what you've done is you've seen what they've done is you've seen a legitimate investment in that X receiver position. They can talk all they want about what they expect from David Moore and what they expect from Jaron Brown, but this is something you don't make these these picks with DK Metcalf and Gary Jennings if you believe that David Moore and Jaron Brown are your answers. They want more competition. They want guys that are are going to be able to stretch the field vertically. And so David Moore and Jaron Brown are fighting for their jobs uh, on this roster because DK Metcalf. Again, I said is the number one, the best deep threat receiver mm-hmm. that came out of this draft and fell to the to the offense that attacks the field vertically almost more than anybody else other than the New Orleans Saints. And Gary Jennings has that ability to stretch the field as well. So uh, I, I like the pick, and I think that hopefully they can between those two guys they can find they can they can sure up that X receiver position that gets a lot of one on one matchups. And as you said, Stacy, the safety position. Tedrick Thompson, Delano Hill, 
They have not claimed that job. No. Nope. They've played fine. They've played good. They've played comparable, but they have not claimed and, and, and had any ownership on that position. So going out and trying to get create competition at that position to me is huge. And you're able to do that with Marquise Blair, a guy who I think is a phenomenal player, who I think is a Seahawk all the way that fits the scheme extremely well. And then don't forget about Ugo Amadi, who is a guy who, as described himself, and we talked about earlier, is a Swiss Army knife who can play all across the secondary. We have an interesting conversation to get into. Speaking of this roster, speaking of competition, Jake was... You were spitting that hot fire earlier. Oof. Did I say that right? Yeah, you did. Okay. You did. Cool. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're keeping up with the hip, Thank young you. crowd. Very yeah. hip. We're going to get into <laughs> it next on Big If True. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Stacey Rost. He is Jake Heats. I was getting into not a fight uh, earlier today. Jake, you, you were not here yet. You in a fight? No, I wasn't in a fight. Fist of cuffs? It, it was. <laughs> I didn't throw. Uh, you didn't throw hands? I didn't throw hands. I didn't. You wanted to, though? Not against Dave Wyman. Um, <laughs> he said he <laughs> was shocked. He was shocked that I had not seen uh, Slapshot. Mm. And I said, Dave, have you seen Mean Girls? Ooh, and he had not. That's so a good comeback both, right you, there. Thank you. Very so we good. Both comeback. agreed to watch it, but now you uh, and I, you and I know that yes. there was zero chance he was he was going to say yes to Mean Girls. Exactly. So I went right away with like because it's always about like I don't just think to see a movie from 1977. Yes, I looked up the date, uh, but then I asked you because someone said you shouldn't be in sports if you haven't seen Slapshot. Comparing it to Mean Girls removes you from dude-dumb, which I didn't know I had a passport. I didn't know I was allowed in dude-dumb, but that's pretty cool. I mean, I'm not there anymore, but I was, apparently. Um, But then, Jake, I checked with you during the break. You have also not seen Slapshot, and now I feel... I feel like empowered. Like I feel like I won. Yeah, I don't I, know how. But I I, I haven't seen Slapshot, and maybe I need you don't, to. No, I, you don't I'm, need to. Maybe I'm missing out, but I do know that you are very, very behind in your movie <laughs> watching. So, you know, although you oh, have are you not talking seen, about what's it called? Um, Dead Air. No, Dead Die, die, die hard, hard. Die Hard. And Star Wars. No, I've seen Star Wars. You said that you hadn't seen Star Wars. I hadn't oh. seen Star Wars a year ago. <laughs> And then I watched it. <laughs> what was the other thing that we threw out there that you Die Hard? I don't know. Probably a really stupid movie. No, a really, really good action mm. movie that I oh, have no um, idea. It was the one where we got questions about the airplane people. Oh, Top Gun. Top Gun. Yeah. How the <laughs> heck have you not seen Top Gun? I mean, I don't come know. on. Jeez. All right. Well, let's get back to stuff that matters. <laughs> Jake, earlier today, you said something that struck me as a. Uh, a pretty big deal, mm. if it's true. And that brings us to today's Big If True. This can't be happening! Big. You can't be serious, man. If. Did, did he, he say, say that? that? True. History is going to change. The bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day. You cannot be serious! Today's Big If True comes from our very own Jake Heaps. And Jake, I like this opinion. I think it's interesting. Jake said, this is the most competitive Seahawks roster since 2012. It doesn't mean the best. It doesn't mean the deepest. It means the most 
competitive. And I think I agree with you, but tell me what made you think this. Yeah, I look at this roster, and this is the first time in a long time since 2011, 2012, where you look at this roster and there's a lot of question marks. And there's a lot of depth, there's a lot of talent, and there's a across all position groups, almost all position groups, there's going to be a battle, a fight for opportunities to be become the starting player at each position. And when you look at the defensive line, you look at the linebackers, receivers, and specifically that X position, mm-hmm. uh, you, you even look at offensive tackle, right? You go down the list of potential uh, battles that we see, uh, there is a, a uh, running back, that third string running back position, uh, the secondary, uh, there, there is so much competition on this team, and it's going to be so fun to watch because you're going to find out a lot about these guys over the course of this offseason and a lot of reports about how these players are doing, who's stepping up, who's falling down, um, and, and it's going to be probably the most exciting preseason to watch Ooh. in a long, long time because you look at this roster, there's very few guys that you can pin in. There's a difference between penciling in. Penciling, you can erase. So there's some guys that we think, yeah, they're going to fit in this spot. They're a favorite. They're, they're heading into training camp with the ones. Absolutely. They're going to be repping the ones. Absolutely. They're, you know, For example, Akeem King. Mm-hmm. Akeem King right now is probably going to be going in with the ones at the, the nickel quarterback position. Now, that could easily change with the competition that they have already with Jeremy Boykins, Ugo Amadi that they just drafted. Uh, there, there's a lot of competition at that particular position. You look at the receiver position. There are four guys, Stacey, four guys right now that you could look at that are legitimately competing for that X receiver position, and those are the guys that we're just thinking off right off the top. I know there's some more younger, talented guys that are definitely in competition for that spot as well. Um, And so linebacker is another one. You just drafted two linebackers on this roster, which tells you that Shaquem Griffin and Austin Calitro, your job is very, very uncomfortable right now. It is not safe. You could definitely get uh, X'd out of this roster. And Barkevious Mingo, you got to show, you got to show up, man. You got to show up because you got a young, hungry guy in Cody Barton that could potentially take your spot. And also, they could, they, you know, if they signed a Nick Perry, for example, mm-hmm. who is an outside. Three as a three-four outside linebacker, they could plug him in at the Sam linebacker position. So all across the board, there is a ton of competition. Uh, a lot of guys not feeling safe, and that's exactly what you want. Checking in from the two hundred six. Sorry, I'm late. Two hundred six reporting for duty. Stacy Rost throwing bows. That means elbows, Jake. Oh, okay. Yeah, I di- I didn't know that. I thought maybe rainbows. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, two hundred six. Since you just got here, I will let you know that right now we're debating Jake's. Ultimate point, this is the most competitive roster since 2012, and I agree with you that a lot of these position groups, there's a lot there's a lot of bodies. Now, there's let, a lot of let, people. Let me ask you this. Okay. Does that excite you, or does that make you nervous? It, it does not make me nervous uh, if I'm a Seahawks fan. I, uh, I think covering the team, it's, uh, it's unique. I feel like this is, last year was the first year not covering this team with a couple of the stalwarts that used to be there with Richard Sherman, Cliff Averill, Mike Bennett. So it was the most unique year I had heading into it. At the top of the list, there is no competition. You know exactly who's going to be your day one starters, your number ones. And now you're in a situation where you are everybody. It almost seems like every position is up for grabs. Well, and that's why it's interesting to me because, again, so when that happened, 
think people were concerned about it. And I'm sure John Schneider would have loved if Cam Chancellor were to be able to play or Cliff Averill or any of these guys um, or if Richard Sherman uh, would have been affordable or, or whatever it was that led to that. You always want an all pro there. But one thing he kept saying to kind of look at maybe a positive of it for him was that there's no longer guys that are coming in and seeing the roster and thinking, wow, I can't wait to play behind Cam Chancellor. Wow, I can't wait to play behind Earl Thomas. And he said, we want guys to come in and and to think, I want this job. Mm -hmm. I want to be on that field day one. I want to be out there. I'm going to be a starter. And, And I think that what this group, two years removed from that, now brings is outside of guys like Bobby Wagner, no one's going to come in and be your new quarterback. No one's going to come in and be your new Bobby Wagner. Mm-hmm. Um, same with with Tyler Lockett, who's solidified his spot in the wide receiver group. There are guys that aren't going anywhere. Yeah. But there aren't a lot of them. And other than that, there are guys that can come in and with the right attitude, the right drive, the right talent, um, can really carve out a spot for himself, and that hasn't been the case with this team for a long time. Absolutely. Uh, and that's what fires me up. Is just like we were talking about the reminiscent of 2011 and 2012, you saw some of the younger talent that Pete Carroll and John Schneider had drafted uh, eventually make themselves into who they were. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of competition uh, day in and day out. And uh, and so you were formulating your roster, having these young guys come in and earn a spot, be hungry, and feel like there was an opportunity. And a couple for of them, them didn't start out as starters. Richard Sherman uh, came in when there were injuries. Cam Chancellor, some of his first, when you look at early uh, Seahawks plays when he was there, was on special teams. Yes, and that's very reminiscent of what they have now. And that to me is exciting because when you're talking about retooling. Last year was a retooling year. It was trying to recapture the culture, recapture the running game, uh, all those things, and you've established that. Now what you're doing is you're putting on the pressure and now you're, you're turning up the heat in, in competition for this year to help you eventually uh, make that Super Bowl run that you guys are so desperately wanting to make. And, and that only happens through the breeding philosophy of Pete Carroll, always compete. And for the first time in a long time, that philosophy rings true right now. And I couldn't be more excited about what this could potentially hold. Now, I've said this before. They are a couple moves from becoming a great team this offseason and a couple moves away from regressing this offseason significantly. And I think that they position themselves uh, very, very well to have upgraded their roster, and we'll see how everybody pans out. From the year one guys, they're expecting the year one guys to develop in year two, the year two guys to develop in year three. Shaq Griffin, come on, man, we need you, right? You took a step down in year two. We need you to step up in year three. We have to have that type of – we need to have you uptick your production. Trey Flowers, okay, you were a great rookie, man. We really love your your ability, your length, what you showed us. You have to step up and be a ball player and turn into this all-pro type of player that you absolutely can be in year two. So Rashad Penny, come on, let's go. We've added competition with Travis Homer, right? It's a huge year. So even the young guys that you have drafted that are at, on this roster, uh, this is a very, very young team uh, that is that is hungry, that is ready to roll, and uh, I, I'm very excited how this thing sets up. All right, uh, coming up next, one of my favorite segments, personally. I mm. love it. Ask us anything. Text your questions to the Coors Light text line at 710-710. Anything you want to talk about. Send in some good questions, Send in some please. good questions. Some of my favorites were um, what movie villain is uh, not really a villain when you look at it differently. Yeah. Most understood. 
Most misunderstood, Most misunderstood villain. Yeah. Yep. I like. I liked that. I tried to take the Voldemort approach, and then I realized he was just awful. Yeah. So it, there was no redemption there. Correct. And then, uh, have you ever been arrested? Uh, oh yeah, we got that there's, question. There's all sorts. Have you of ever questions. broken the law? Some What's good questions. Favorite food? What food do you hate? I mean, come on. Let's let's get some. I good learned ones out that here. Jake's awful food take is that he doesn't like salsa. <laughs> It's weird. You can text in to 710-710. We'll get to that next on Seattle Sports at Night. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. We're going to get to Ask Us Anything, but first, Jake just saw some breaking news. Jake, what's happening? Yeah, uh... Tom Loy from 247 Sports is reporting, according to multiple sources, 247 Sports has learned that Washington quarterbacks Colson Yankoff and Jacob Sermon are both in the transfer portal and are set to leave the program. Uh, That is big news uh, in terms of your quarterback depth at the University of Washington. Those are two promising names. Uh, Colson Yankoff makes a lot of sense to me. This was a guy that I think is a great talent. He is one of the most athletic players that Washington had, but I think he is more suited for a spread offense Mm. that is going to accentuate his strengths where Washington is a very throwback, pro-style type of offense that is very intricate in terms of what they're asking for the quarterback to do mentally. So I think that'll be a better situation for him, and I wish him the best. Jacob Sermon is a guy that uh, I, I had high hopes for, that I believe I had a lot of belief in what he could do in terms of his talent. Uh, big guy, uh, great arm, and uh, a very, very smart football player. And this tells me that uh, ultimately he does not believe that the, the coaching staff is giving him the opportunity to co- really compete for that backup spot. Um, and so, uh, it, it, again, when you see a, a young player uh, like Jacob Sermon, who's a redshirt freshman, yeah. uh, end up transferring. I think that that's tough, and I wish them nothing but the best. It's a hard road. I've been down this before, and so you don't always know, and, and that's the thing is fans are going to react in in a certain way and come to judgment, come to conclusions, and look, every, every situation is different. You wish them the best, but this definitely affects the depth that is at Washington. I expected that there would be one transfer and maybe two, and now to see – both, Both these guys transfer. It's yeah. very unique. And what it does also is it also puts pressure on Washington to maybe draw out this competition a little bit longer between Eason and Hayner. I'm not saying there's a guy that maybe is edging out one or the other, but let's say you have Eason penned in to be your starter and is excited about that. Uh, you don't want Jacob Hayner transferring at all uh, because then your significant depth is lost and your backup quarterback is going to be Dylan Morris, who just came into spring as a true freshman. So very interesting development here at the University of Washington. So what Washington risks then, if if these transfers go through, all of this happens, uh, and then they don't extend that competition, is Easton goes down and they're in big trouble. Absolutely. So it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see to why it'll be interesting to see how this develops further, but man, that's that's big news right there. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, both Brock Yord and Mike Salk will get into that. Uh, tomorrow when they kick things off with Brock and Salk at 7, that's... They better. I that's got to open the show. That. I don't know how you don't open with that. Uh, former UW quarterback, you got to talk about that, man. Yeah, we'll I'm, see. I'm sure they will. We'll see. Uh, for right now, um, this is that's all we know about it so far. We'll, we'll keep you guys posted. But um, let's get into Ask Us Anything, because we have a lot of questions coming in. Um, 
first one that I'm just not even going to answer uh, was from the 253, does pineapple belong on pizza? 253, that's a disrespectful question. I, I firmly believe so. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I want to know. Squeeze what, me. What is your answer, please? No, absolutely not. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Oh. Ooh, I, I thought we There's, were going to have to call this show. That's right. There's you know some, what? It's been fun, Jake. Yeah. If you said yes, our friendship would be over the show. We would have to wrap it up. And Curtis yep. would probably have to do this by himself again. Yeah. And honestly, I think that that's the right way to go because I believe that Curtis does like pineapple on pizza. <laughs> so You're... I think we found the weakest link. <laughs> I'm sorry, 253, if you like pineapple on pizza, but just think about your life choices. Yeah. Let's rethink this. Uh, from the 206, what's the meanest thing you've ever done? Ooh. Uh, here's the thing, Stacey, is... I know where this is going, Jake. It already makes me so uh, mad. I'm, I'm, I, I'm nice. I don't I don't ah, like to be mean. So yes. I don't know. I can't think of off the top of my head. See, I'm sure I there's something bad. I've done really mean. Like when I was when I was three years old. And I was a since you were three. I, 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 I didn't share with someone. Or maybe in high school I made a snarky comment at someone. I don't oh know. God. But nothing comes to mind right now. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just saying that it's not in my nature uh, to to turn mean real What's fast. What's so annoying about this is that it's true. You guys, Jake <laughs> is literally one of the nicest people, and it makes me so mad because I'm not, and I just look worse and worse. I'll I'll tell mine. Okay, all right. Please um, tell yours. Cause... I'll tell mine. And here's the thing: I I know that you guys are going to think differently about me after okay. this. It's okay, Stacey. But this, this is, is safe. I'm just this being is a safe vulnerable. place. It's safe. safe. It's safe place. Only okay. our listeners. On Seattle Sports at Night, it's just between all of us. Just you, all me, right. and, and all of, of us. you guys. That's okay. Right. I'm not proud of this, but here we go. And it's the meanest thing I've ever done. I haven't done anything worse than this. So it's not like I'm out here like kicking puppies. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so when I was in high school, I wasn't even a senior. I was probably like 16 or so. Mm-hmm. Me and Sarah Clark told each other that we would vote for each other for Homecoming Queen. Mm-hmm. And you wrote down the name that you wanted to submit on a piece of paper. And Sarah Clark voted for me. And then I voted for me. (laughs) (laughs) And I did not vote for Sarah Clark. Sarah Clark, I'm so sorry. You you cheated her out of a vote. I really did. Wow. I cheated her into you are a that, vote. You are that person. Well, here's the thing. It's, Does she know this, by the way? Or is nope, this a confession? Nope. Wow. I don't know if she's listening. Sarah Clark, you really should have been homecoming queen. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> Confession's going on right now. <laughs> I'm really sorry. You are a horrible, horrible person, Stacey. Oh, my God. Horrible. Let's keep going. Uh, let's see. What's the weirdest interaction you've ever had with a stranger? Ooh, um, this could get weird. Yeah, this could get real weird. Uh, there is the occasion homeless person that, you know, might be talking about, you know, things that are right in front of them that really aren't there. <laughs> I've had that before. That was that was. Do you unique. play along? Yes. Wow. Because I don't know if I said different what they would do. Right. But, right. That's um, I think there's been times where people have approached me that know me that I don't know them, and uh, I've had to kind of play along with that. That because it's awkward in the moment. I don't want to. I I don't. I don't want to let someone down. You know. So someone out there that's listening has been like, "Yeah, I ran into Jake, man. He was so cool. We went to high school together. We had every single class. We were on the same team. Um, I used to like hang out with him, and and you don't remember. I may have faked through a couple conversations in my life. You know what? I don't feel as bad about Sarah Clark. Well, no, you shouldn't. That was terrible. She's fine. Are you sure? That might have changed her complete I'm actually not sure. outlook on life. Look, it totally turned her world upside down. Here's what we're going to do. 
Sarah Clark is the 710 ESPN Seattle Honorary Homecoming Queen. I don't think that's good enough. I will enough. give her the title. What do you mean <laughs> that's not good enough? Good I would enough. love that crown. You need to call her. You need to look her <laughs> no. up. And you need to confess to her. If I was 710 Homecoming Queen, I would be fine with it. That's more than enough. And think of the inflation <laughs> since then. Are you, like 2006 Homecoming Queen now is worth a lot more than it used to be. In high school, that was that was it. Yeah, well, I know. That's why I voted for myself. Unbelievable. Next question from the 360, Dick's Deluxe or Special? Uh, Dick's Deluxe, no doubt about it. What's the difference? Uh, I don't know. I've never had the Special, but I ordered the Deluxe, so that's all I know. And that's what oh, I'm going to okay. go with. Mm, I don't know. I just get the burgers that, that I don't know. Is there like a simple one? You don't. You. I don't know. I've never actually ordered it. I've always been with people who have gotten it. Oh, okay. So uh, whatever it is, I don't care. Dick's is amazing. All right. Is that your favorite fast food place? Well, I think it's better than In-N-Out. I, I think In-N-Out is, is way take. over. I think it's way over. I've never had In-N-Out before. And I'm not I, mad I'm, about it. I like Shake Shack over In-N-Out. Um, someone making fun of the best villain comment. The best villain is actually Jake Heaps. A smart and interesting person, but he doesn't what? like salsa and is truly evil. Oh, come on. Yep. yep. Come Jake. on. I'm sorry. No. Uh, I'll, the- tell, I'll tell you this. Okay. I I was I have been the most picky eater my entire life. It came from my dad. My dad was extremely. Were you picky. like plain hot dogs, plain hamburgers? No, no, no. I'd have like mustard. You're not crazy. I, I like my hot dog. I have to have mustard. I can't have ketchup. Like there's random little things like that <laughs> that just make me really picky. Okay. I don't like my food touching each other. You know, there, there's random things like that. But my wife, it was like unacceptable on certain things. Like absolutely unacceptable. So. It just felt like at times she was beating me down, making me feel bad about myself, that I wasn't trying and expanding my horizons. That's why when you marry someone, hopefully you marry <laughs> up, that, that makes you better, that, makes, makes, you improve, that better. makes you improve yourself. And so now I've become significantly better, and like my dad thinks I'm an alien now because I, I, I have expanded my food horizons, and I can't believe I've just been like him. Unbelievable. Let's close out with a football question because we never really get those for these segments. Uh, from the 206, Jake, what differentiates the X receiver from the others? Please love the show, by the way. Uh, so here's the deal. So X receiver, what that means is that you have your, typically what happens is you, in, in a given offense and what the Seahawks like to do is typically they go with a two receiver set. Um, so they'll have, uh, they'll have uh, or actually a three receiver set. So they'll have a Z receiver to your right, X receiver to your left. Tied into your right, and you have an F receiver in the slot. So any team could could label those positions differently. So it's not exactly like that. But your X receiver, uh, that is the general term for this receiver. He is usually on your left side of the formation, uh, which is the back side of the formation, and that typically gives you one-on-one matchups. Your Z receiver is a guy who's a little bit more flexible, uh, can play different positions across the board, um, and your slot and your F receiver is your slot receiver. So uh, your X receiver is more the prototype for him as a bigger body guy, can stretch the field vertically, and again can can win so those one on one matchups. Yeah. If you want your backside slant, one on one backside slant. That's going to come from your X receiver typically. If you want to take a one-on-one go ball, that's typically going to come from your X receiver, whereas Doug Baldwin has typically played the Z receiver position. That's also what Tyler Lockett plays. So those two interchange between Z and F. So, um, you know, that I hope that answers the question for you. I hope, I hope you're following with me a little bit. But the X receiver typically is, is lined up one-on-one by himself off 
on the backside of the formation. We need to get you back in front of that whiteboard in our video room. Let's go. Some Come informational on. videos. I'm down for this. All right. That'll do it for us tonight. Thank you so much for joining me and Jake for Seattle Sports at Night. We'll be on again tomorrow after the Mariners game. Until then, thanks for listening to 710 ESPN Seattle.